and welcome to Population Health Plugin, a show highlighting current public health topics in our community and things of interest to students across the university. My name is Mina Nabavi, and I'm a program manager in the Office of Public Health Practice at the UAB School of Public Health. Dr. Ziad Kazi is here with us today to talk about his work with our cynicals. Dr. Kazi is currently an associate professor of emergency medicine and medical toxicology at Emory University. He is also the assistant medical director of the Georgia Poison Center. He is the president of the Middle East and North Africa Toxicology Association and a board member of the American College of Medical Toxicology. Thank you so much for being here and taking time out of your schedule to talk with me. Thank you for having me. So to get us started, what is an arsenical and how would someone come in contact with it? Well, arsenical is a, um, is a fancy way to refer to a chemical that contains arsenic. Okay. And there are many chemicals uh, that are under this category or under this name of arsenical. So uh, you come into contact with them depending on which arsenical we are talking about. I guess the most famous ones uh, that people uh, uh, think of when they talk about an arsenical, uh, the most famous ones are uh, lewisite, is, uh, is a, uh, an arsenical that was used or was developed in World War I. The other one is uh, adamsite, which is uh, also an arsenical. And then um, uh, Agent uh, Blue, which was uh, used in the Vietnam War. Um, arsenic is also a component of uh, drugs that used to be used to treat infectious diseases like syphilis decades ago. Um, and currently, uh, in my field of medical toxicology, I deal with concerns from environmental exposure to arsenic. Um, there are communities around the world, like Bangladesh or India, that um, drink water uh, extracted from wells contaminated with, with, with arsenic, so in groundwater. Right. And that's a big issue because these exposures are long-term. There are low-level exposures, but there are uh, occurring over many years and have been shown to cause significant health effects on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, on the body, including several types of cancer. So um, that's uh, another important uh, uh, source of exposure to arsenic uh, okay. around the world. So I guess let's focus on lewisite and adamsite since they're the most common or the most widely known or talked about. Um, what happens to the body once it's exposed to either of those? Arsenicals. So, so the, the way the body uh, reacts to the exposure to arsenic really depends on which arsenical we're talking about. And here we have to think about the, uh, whether it's a liquid or it's a solid, uh, how much of that uh, chemical you're getting exposed to, how you're getting exposed to it, are you eating it, are you inhaling it, uh, is it something that's on your skin or in your eyes. So this really will, uh, will determine what it does. Now arsenic itself is able to interfere with a lot of the uh, functions in our body. That's why it can affect different parts of your body. So, uh, so adding you know, the factors I just listed um, together, you can get a different clinical picture every time or a different illness every time. Primarily though, um, you know, when we think of lewisite, for example, which was uh, a liquid uh, developed in, um, at, uh, during the World War I period, to be used in World War I. Um, the major effects uh, were uh, uh, revolving around the skin, the lungs, the breathing tubes, the eyes. 
and um, and that's these are the, the 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 three classic effects of someone being in contact with lewisite. That said, though, because I said arsenic has ability to affect different organs, lewisite can also affect the kidneys, can also affect uh, 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 the lungs, like I just said, and those are also areas that we need to be concerned about. Now, adamsite is another one that I mentioned earlier. Adamsite was also developed uh, during World War I, and that one is referred to as a vomiting agent. It's an interesting chemical uh, because it's actually, again, gonna, uh, going to cause irritation to the breathing tubes, the eyes, the throat, and the lungs, and uh, will actually cause that effect uh, in a slightly delayed manner. So you, get, you come into contact with the chemical, you don't feel anything for a few minutes. So instead of running away, you stay in that exposure. And then you start getting sick. And the other thing that's interesting about adamsite is that it also causes these other organs to be affected. Like it can make you sleepy, tired, and make you vomit. And this is why we call it vomiting agent. Okay. Uh, so that's uh, adamsite. Uh, Asian blue uh, is less well uh, understood in terms of its acute effects. Uh, there's some concern about its long-term effects, whether it causes cancer possibly or not. It was used in the Vietnam War along with Agent Orange, for example. In the, um, to defoliate the, the tree lines. Um, we have less experience with, with that, uh, with that uh, clinical effects of exposure to Asian blue. Okay. Uh, the, um, uh, the other uh, arsenic exposure that I mentioned uh, from groundwater, contaminated groundwater, that's uh, exposure to inorganic arsenic. That leads to cancer, different types of cancer, like the kidney or the bladder, the skin, and also causes some problems with your, with your circulation too. So certainly uh, long-term effects of arsenic uh, that are concerning there. So can you give uh, some historical background or some e examples of arsenicals being used? Yes, certainly. You know, I mentioned leucite uh, was an important uh, chemical developed for, during World War I. At the time, the, uh, uh, the uh, battling uh, countries were using chlorine, phosgene, and then they started using mustard agent. Mustard agent uh, caused delayed onset of its effects to the skin and the eyes. So lewisite was developed recognizing its properties to cause immediate symptoms. So the effects, the illness was immediate. Pain to the skin, pain to the eyes. And of course, again, it causes the effects on the lung. Um, with that in mind, lewisite was developed uh, and Captain Lewis in the U.S. gave it gave the chemical its name, Captain Lewis, Lewisite, and it was shipped to Europe to be used. However, uh, World War I ended on its way, so it was actually dis disposed of in the ocean. Now, other countries have, have developed Lewisite as well. For example, we think Japan did uh, mix it with the mustard, made a, a mixture of mustard and Lewisite, and uh, used it possibly in China. Uh, this type of mixture was also potentially developed in Russia. So uh, uh, we have also uh, scenarios of exposure to lewisite that are accidental and experimental. Um, Adamsite, on the other hand, was developed also for World War I, and we have some experience with it from accidental releases. Uh, it actually, uh, there are two death reports from it. People, two people died from it, and others were, uh, uh, fell ill, like I described earlier with the symptoms we, we talked about, as a vomiting agent and as an irritant. Uh, so that's, uh, these are a couple of um, important historical uh, uh, 
factoids for you regarding lewisite and adamsite. Excellent. And just to clarify, when you say mustard, you don't mean yellow mustard on, on your hot dog, right? I thought you were going to ask that question. <laughs> it's not yellow mustard. It's not Dijon mustard. It's a uh, chemical uh, that is referred to as mustard. It's a cousin uh, of the nitrogen mustard that uh, may, some people may know about from uh, uh, therapy of cancer. This is a sulfur mustard okay. that we are referring to. Okay. So those are some historical events or his, um, the history of lewisite and adamsite, but looking 2019 today or more recent, can you provide some examples of potential impacts or, or impacts of arsenicals? Yes, certainly. I think um, the uh, first thing that comes to mind is the concern about terrorist use of these chemicals. Terrorist use or a uh, country uh, developing these weapons and using them in the battlefield. So uh, terrorist and battlefield use, also criminal use of these chemicals. Like we saw in, in the uh, Kuala Lumpur airport in Malaysia, a chemical agent was used, VX, in that situation, which is not the same as lewisite, but still a chemical, a very potent chemical that was used uh, to assassinate someone. So uh, these are the main three uh, areas that concern me, terrorist use, battlefield use, and criminal use. That's one piece of this, uh, this uh, dilemma. The second piece of this uh, potential impact comes from accidental exposures. Here you have bystanders, innocent bystanders, that can come into contact with these chemicals during their day-to-day -day activities. We've had many examples from uh, sulfur mustard shells buried in our environment or uh, recovered by fishermen while fishing in the ocean. As, as I mentioned, many of these chemicals were disposed after World War I in the ocean. Uh, not far from us here in the East Coast, uh, North, East, as well as uh, Florida, and uh, the Northern Sea, if you look at the European, uh, European exposure area. So these uh, shells occasionally are uh, fished out and uh, they may be leaking, you know, after years of being in the water, they may be corroded, and fishermen have been exposed to them. Uh, also in construction sites, if you are digging uh, 20, 30 feet deep, and you may find a, a barrel or a shell and can expose you and the workers to, to that chemical. We've seen these incidents occur uh, numerous times um, in, in, uh, in history. And around the world, and, right? ar and around the world, in the U.S., as outside of the U.S. as well. So a large part of your work is centered around countermeasures to protect individuals from damage inflicted through arsenical exposure. Can you tell me a bit about your work? Certainly. You know, uh, although I'm not a bench scientist, I actually focus uh, my work on educating uh, different audiences about these hazards, recognizing them, preventing them, and then uh, diagnosing them and managing them. So. Um, uh, and I do that to different audiences, including public health audience, uh, medical professionals, emergency responders, and even the lay public uh, at times. Um, I also work on the uh, public health interface uh, with uh, using these uh, countermeasures that are developed. So, for example, you know, you can develop a countermeasure, but then you have to have a plan on how to deploy the countermeasure. You have to have a plan on uh, assessing its efficacy, uh, looking for any potential adverse events that can occur. So I do that uh, from a public health perspective as well uh, when I think of these uh, chemical uh, hazards as well as their countermeasures. So these countermeasures, how quickly do they need to be administered? Oh, that's very important uh, to, to, to consider when you are developing or using countermeasure. 
is the time window when it's efficacious. So usually, the earlier you administer the countermeasure, the better. And unfortunately, some chemical agents act so rapidly that the damage occurs within minutes, and therefore giving a countermeasure an hour later may not be efficacious. A good example is uh, British anti-lewisite. British anti-lewisite was an antidote developed by the British in Oxford to uh, counter the effects of lewisite. And uh, unfortunately, although it's efficacious in countering the effect of lewisite on the skin and on the eyes, it must be administered within minutes. Wow. So how can you give that uh, drug within minutes of being exposed to a chemical? So that's challenging, and it's a lesson for all of us developing a countermeasures to consider that in our development and in our deployment of these, of these uh, countermeasures. So when you do that, uh, you have to take into consideration the storage location, the speed of deploying a countermeasure, and uh, how does that relate to when it is effective and how rapid the poison is in its action on your body. I guess you have to also be able to know what it is that you're trying to counteract. You need to know what the chemical is. Absolutely. Detecting um, the chemical is very difficult and uh, primarily relies initially on your clinical assessment, looking for signs and symptoms that fit with a specific category. Add to that your suspicion, having a high index of suspicion, raising awareness, alertness about these possibilities will improve our chances of recognizing a chemical incident rapidly and hopefully in time to treat it effectively. So how can public health work with other fields and disciplines to address some of the challenges in managing a response to an event involving an arsenical? Well, public health plays a central role in all of this. Um, and I spend a lot of my time working with public health professionals. I'm not necessarily a public health uh, specialist myself, but uh, I cannot do what I do without uh, partnership with public health. Uh, and I can think of several things that I work with public health professionals on. For example, the entire emergency preparedness planning that involves the countermeasures, involves the detection and the recognition, uh, that requires planning. And public health professionals do that every day uh, for a variety of hazards. Uh, public health professionals can also uh, uh, provide education to the public and other target audiences. Public health professionals are also experts in surveillance. Without good data about what is going on out there, we cannot understand what the disease is, where it's occurring, when, to who, and how to treat it. Um, public health professionals are excellent risk communicators too. And that's a key element of responding to incident and recovering from an incident. So no doubt in my mind, public health professionals are key in this entire uh, endeavor. Right. It, it sounds in many ways they are um, important. Well, thank you, Dr. Kazi, for being here and talking with us about our cynicals and, and how they impact human health. And thank you to our listeners. Please tune in next time for another episode of Population Health Plugin. <laughs>